Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two. You have worked upon her sensibility till you have made her miserable cried clarence angrily virginia listen to me look at me said he affectionately taking her hand but she pressed closer to mrs ormond and would not raise her head do not consider me as your master your tyrant do not imagine that i think you ungrateful oh i am i am i am ungrateful to you cried she sobbing but mrs ormond never told me so do not blame her she has never worked upon my sensibility do you think said she looking up while a transient expression of indignation passed over her countenance do you think i cannot feel without having been taught clarence uttered a deep sigh but if you feel too much my dearest virginia if you give way to your feelings in this manner said mrs ormond you will make both yourself and Mr. Harvey unhappy. Heaven forbid! The first wish of my soul is— She paused. I should be the most ungrateful wretch in the world if I were to make him unhappy. But if he sees you miserable, Virginia, then he shall not see it, said she, wiping the tears from her face to imagine that you were unhappy and that you concealed it from us would be still worse said clarence but why should you imagine it replied virginia you are too good too kind but do not fancy that i am not happy i am sure i ought to be happy do you regret your cottage said clarence these drawings show how well you remember it Virginia coloured, and with some hesitation answered, "'Is it my fault if I cannot forget?' "'You were happier then, Virginia, than you are now. You will confess,' said Mrs. Ormond, who was not a woman of refined delicacy, and who thought that the best chance she had of working upon Miss Harvey's sense of honour was by making it plain to him how much her pupil's affections were engaged.' Virginia made no answer to this question, and her silence touched Clarence more than anything she could have said. When Mrs. Ormond repeated her question, he relieved the trembling girl by saying, "'My dear Mrs. Ormond, confidence must be won, not demanded.' "'I have no right to insist upon confessions, I know,' said Mrs. Ormond, but— "'Confessions! I do not wish to conceal anything.' but I think sincerity is not always in our sex consistent with—I mean, I don't know what I mean, what I say, or what I ought to say," cried Virginia, and she sank down on a sofa in extreme confusion. "'Why will you agitate her, Mrs. Ormond, in this manner?' said Mr. Harvey, with an expression of sudden anger. It was succeeded by a look of such tender compassion for Virginia that mrs ormond rejoiced to have excited his anger at any price she wished to serve her beloved pupil 
do not be in the least apprehensive my dear virginia that we should take ungenerous advantage of the openness and simplicity of your character said mr harvey oh no no i cannot do not apprehend anything ungenerous from you you are you ever have been my best my most generous friend but i fear that i have not the simplicity of character the openness that you imagine and yet i am sure i wish from the bottom of my heart i wish to do right if i knew how but there is not one no not one person in the whole world continued she her eyes moving from mrs ormond to mr harvey and from him to mrs ormond again not one person in the whole world i dare i ought to lay my heart open to i have perhaps said more than is proper already but this i know added she in a firm tone rising and addressing herself to clarence you shall never be made unhappy by me and do not think about my happiness so much said she forcing a smile i am i will be perfectly happy only let me always know your wishes your sentiments your feelings and by them i will as i ought regulate mine amiable charming generous girl cried clarence take care said mrs ormond take care virginia lest you promise more than you can perform wishes and feelings and sentiments are not to be so easily regulated i did not i believe say it was easy but i hope it is possible replied virginia i promise nothing but what i am able to perform i doubt it said mrs ormond shaking her head you are you will be perfectly happy oh virginia my love do not deceive yourself do not deceive us so terribly i am sorry to put you to the blush but not a word more my dear madam i beg i insist said mrs harvey in a commanding tone but for the first time in her life regardless of him she persisted i only ask you to call to mind my dearest virginia said she taking her hand the morning that you screamed in your sleep the morning when you told me the frightful dream were you perfectly happy then it is easy to force my thoughts from me said virginia withdrawing her hand from mrs ormond but it is cruel to do so and with an air of offended dignity she passed them and quitted the room i wish to heaven exclaimed mrs ormond that miss portman was married and out of the way i shall never forgive myself we have used this poor girl cruelly amongst us she loves you to distraction and i have encouraged her passion and i have betrayed her oh fool that i was i told her that she would certainly be your wife you have told her so did i not charge you mrs ormond yes but i could not help it when i saw the sweet girl fading away and besides i am sure she thought it from your manner long and long before i told it to her do you forget how fond of her you were scarce one short year ago and do you forget how plainly you let her see your passion oh how can you blame her if she loves you and if she is unhappy i blame no one but myself 
cried clarence i must abide by the consequences of my own folly unhappy she shall not be unhappy she does not deserve to be so he walked backward and forward with hasty steps for some minutes then sat down and wrote a letter to virginia when he had finished it he put it into mrs ormond's hands read it seal it give it to her and let her answer be sent to town to me at dr x's in clifford street mrs ormond clasped her hands in an ecstasy of joy as she glanced her eye over the letter for it contained an offer of his hand this is like yourself like what i always knew you to be dear mr harvey she exclaimed but her exclamation was lost upon him when she looked up to repeat her praises she perceived he was gone after the effort which he had made he wished for time to tranquillize his mind before he should again see virginia what her answer to this letter would be he could not doubt his fate was now decided and he determined immediately to write to lady delacour to explain his situation he felt that he had not sufficient fortitude at this moment to make such an explanation in person with all the strength of his mind he endeavoured to exclude belinda from his thoughts but curiosity for he would suffer himself to call it by no other name curiosity to know whether she were actually engaged to mr vincent obtruded itself with such force that it could not be resisted from dr x he thought he could obtain full information and he hastened immediately to town when he got to clifford street he found that the doctor was not at home his servant said he might probably be met with at mrs margaret delacour's as he usually finished his morning rounds at her house thither mr harvey immediately went the first sound that he heard as he went up her stairs was the screaming of a macaw and the first person he saw through the open door of the drawing-room was helena delacour she was standing with her back to him leaning over the macaw's cage and he heard her say in a joyful tone yes though you do scream so frightfully my pretty macaw i love you as well as marriott ever did when my dear good miss portman sent this macaw my dear aunt here's mr harvey you were just wishing to see him mr harvey said the old lady with a benevolent smile your little friend helena tells you truth we were just wishing for you i'm sure it will give you pleasure to hear that i'm at last a convert to your opinion of lady delacour she has given up all those that i used to call her rantipole acquaintance she has reconciled herself to her husband and to his friends and helena is to go home to live with her here is a charming note i have just received from her dine with me on thursday next and you will meet her ladyship and see a happy family party you have had some share in the reformation i know and that was the reason i wished that you should be with us on thursday you see i'm not an obstinate old woman though i was cross the first day i saw you at lady anne percival's i found i was mistaken in your character and i am glad of it but this note of lady delacour's seems to have struck you dumb there were indeed a few words in this note which deprived him for some moments of all power of utterance the report you have heard 
unlike most other reports, is perfectly well founded. Mr. Vincent Belinda's admirer is here. I will bring him with us on Thursday. Mr. Harway was relieved from the necessity of accounting to Mrs. Delacour for his sudden embarrassment by the entrance of Dr. X, and another gentleman, of whom, in the confusion of his mind, Clarence did not at first take any notice. Dr. X, with his usual mixture of benevolence and raillery, addressed himself to Clarence, whilst the stranger took out of his pocket some papers, and in a low voice entered earnestly into conversation with Mrs. Delacour. "'Now tell me, if you can, Clarence,' said Dr. X, "'which of your three mistresses you like best? I think I left you some months ago in great doubt upon this subject. Are you still in that philosophic state?' "'No,' said Clarence. "'All doubts are over. I am going to be married.' "'Bravo! But you look as if you were going to be hanged. May I, as it will soon be in the newspaper, may I ask the name of the fair lady?' "'Virginia St. Pierre. You shall know her history and mine when we are alone,' said Mr. Harway, lowering his voice. "'You need not lower your voice,' said Dr. X, "'for Mrs. Delacour is, as you see, so much taken up with her own affairs, that she has no curiosity for those of her neighbours. And Mr. Hartley is as busy as—' "'Mr. Who?' "'Mr. Hartley, did you say?' interrupted Clarence, eagerly turning his eyes upon the stranger who was a middle-aged gentleman, exactly answering the description of the person who had been at the asylum in search of his daughter. "'Mr. Hartley, yes. What astonishes you so much?' said X calmly. "'He is a West Indian. I met him in Cambridgeshire last summer at his friend's Mr. Horton's. He has been very generous to the poor people who suffered by the fire, and he is now consulting with Mrs. Delacour, who has an estate adjoining to Mr. Horton's, about her tenants, whose houses in the village were burnt. Now I have, in as few words and parentheses as possible, told you all I know of Mr. Hartley's history, but your curiosity still looks voracious. "'I want to know whether he has a miniature,' said Clarence hastily. "'Introduce me to him, for heaven's sake, directly.' "'Mr. Hartley,' cried the doctor, raising his voice, "'give me leave to introduce my friend Mr. Harvey to you, "'and to your miniature picture, if you have one.' Mr. Hartley sighed profoundly as he drew from his bosom a small portrait, which he put into Mr. Harvey's hand, saying, "'Alas, sir, you cannot, I fear, give me any tidings of the original. "'It is the picture of a daughter whom I have never seen since she was an infant.' whom I never shall see again. Clarence instantly knew it to be Virginia, but as he was upon the point of making some joyful exclamation, he felt Dr. X touch his shoulder, and looking up at Mr. Hartley he saw in his countenance such strong workings of passion that he prudently suppressed his own emotion, and calmly said, "'It would be cruel, sir, to give you false hopes.' "'It would kill me, it would kill me, sir, or worse, worse, a thousand times worse,' cried Mr. Hartley, putting his hand to his forehead. "'What,' continued he impatiently, "'what was the meaning of the look you gave when you first saw that picture? Speak, if you have any humanity. Did you ever see one that resembles that picture?' 
"'I have seen, I think, a picture,' said Clarence Harvey, "'that has some resemblance to it. "'When, where?' "'My God, sir,' said Dr. X, "'let me recommend it to you to consider that there is scarcely any possibility of judging from the features of children of what their faces may be when they grow up. Nothing can be more fallacious than these accidental resemblances between the pictures of children and grown-up people.' Mr. Hartley's countenance fell. "'But,' added Clarence Harvey, "'you will perhaps, sir, think it worth your while to see the picture of which I speak. You can see it at Mr. F.'s, the painter in Newman Street, and I will accompany you thither whenever you please.' this moment if you would have the goodness my carriage is at the door and mrs delacour will be so kind to excuse oh make no apologies to me at such a time as this said mrs delacour away with you gentlemen as soon as you please upon condition that if you have any good news to tell some of you will remember in the midst of your joy that such an old woman as mrs margaret delacour exists who loves to hear good news of those who deserve it it was so late in the day when they got to newman street that they were obliged to light candles trembling with eagerness mr hartley drew near while clarence held the light to the picture it is so like said he looking at his miniature that i dare not believe my senses dr x pray do you look my head is so dizzy and my eyes so what do you think sir what do you say doctor that the likeness is certainly striking but this seems to be a fancy piece a fancy piece repeated mr hartley with terror why then did you bring me here a fancy piece no sir it is a portrait said clarence and if you will be calm i will tell you more i will be calm only is she alive the lady of whom this is the portrait is alive replied clarence harvey who was applied to exert his utmost command over himself to maintain that composure which he saw was necessary the lady of whom this is the portrait is alive and you shall see her to-morrow oh why not now cannot i see her now i must see her to-night this instant sir it is impossible said mr harvey that you should see her this instant for she is some miles off at twickenham it is too late to go thither now you cannot think of it mr hartley continued dr x in a tone of command to which she yielded more readily than to reason clarence had the presence of mind to recollect that it would be necessary to prepare poor virginia for this meeting and he sent a messenger immediately to request that mrs ormond would communicate the intelligence with all the caution in her power the next morning mr hartley and mr harvey set off together for twickenham in their way thither clarence gradually confirmed mr hartley in the belief that virginia was his daughter by relating all the circumstances that he had learned from her grandmother and from mrs smith the farmer's wife with whom she had formerly been acquainted the name the age every particular as it was disclosed heightened his security and his joy for some time mr hartley's mind was so intent that he could not listen to anything but at last clarence engaged his attention and suspended his anxiety 
by giving him a history of his own connection with virginia from the day of his first discovering her in the new forest to the letter which he had just written to offer her his hand the partiality which it was suspected virginia felt for him was the only circumstance which he suppressed because notwithstanding all mrs ormond had said and all he had himself heard and seen his obstinate incredulity required confirmation under her own hand or positively from her own lips he still fancied it was possible that change of situation might alter her views and sentiments and he earnestly entreated that she might be left entirely to her own decision it was necessary to make this stipulation with her father for in the excess of his gratitude for the kindness which clarence had shown to her he protested that he should look upon her as a monster if she did not love him he added that if mr harvey had not a farthing he should prefer him to every man upon earth he however promised that he would conceal his wishes and that his daughter should act entirely from the dictates of her own mind in the fullness of his heart he told clarence all those circumstances of his conduct towards virginia's mother which had filled his soul with remorse she was scarcely sixteen when he ran away with her from a boarding-school he was at that time a gay officer she a sentimental girl who had been spoilt by early novel-reading her father had a small place at court lived beyond his fortune educated his daughter to whom he could give no portion as if she were to be heiress to a large estate then died and left his widow absolutely in penury this widow was the old lady who lived in the cottage in the new forest it was just at the time of her husband's death and of her own distress that she heard of the elopement of her daughter from school mr hartley's parents were so much incensed by the match that he was prevailed upon to separate from his wife and to go abroad to push his fortune in the army his marriage had been secret his own friends disavowed it notwithstanding the repeated urgent entreaties of his wife and of her mother who was her only surviving relation his wife on her deathbed wrote to urge him to take charge of his daughter and to make the appeal stronger to his feelings she sent him a picture of his little girl who was then about four years old mr hartley however was intent upon forming a new connection with the rich widow of a planter in jamaica he married the widow took possession of her fortune and all his affections soon were fixed upon a son for whom he formed even from the moment of his birth various schemes of aggrandizement the boy lived till he was about ten years old when he caught a fever which at that time raged in jamaica and after a few days illness died his mother was carried off by the same disease and mr hartley left alone in the midst of his wealth felt how insufficient it was to happiness remorse now seized him he returned to england in search of his deserted daughter to this neglected child he now looked forward for the peace and happiness of the remainder of his life disappointment in all his inquiries for some months preyed upon his spirit to such a degree that his intellects were at times disordered this derangement was the cause of his not sooner recovering his child he was in confinement during the time 
that Clarence Harvey's advertisements were inserted in the papers, and his illness was also the cause of his not going to Portsmouth and sailing in the Effingham, as he had originally intended. The history of his connection with Mr. Horton would be uninteresting to the reader. It is enough to say that he was prevailed upon by that gentleman to spend some time in the country with him, for the recovery of his health and it was there that he became acquainted with Dr. X, who introduced him, as we have seen, to Mrs. Margaret Delacour, at whose house he met Clarence Harvey. This is the most succinct account that we can give of him and his affairs. His own account was ten times as long, but we spare our readers his incoherences and reflections, because perhaps they are in a hurry to get to Twickenham, and to hear of his meeting with Virginia. End of chapter twenty seven, part two, read by Lars Rolander.